Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You can watch a simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. Or the game hotline is 706-0111. Not a lot of time to call today. We're going to be, um, in uh, as we talked about since uh, last week, earlier this week, talking Saints football in the next segment, get caught up with Luke Johnson again. So... If Baker Baker Mayfield gets traded in this QW era for a conditional fifth-round pick, what will it take to trade for Kareem Hunt or Kenyon Drake? I mean, if Baker Mayfield, the number one overall pick in the draft, Playoff in this quarterback in this QW era that we live in. If you if you get him for a conditional fifth round pick, like what what could it cost to get Kenyon Drake or Kareem Hunt? I mean, those guys aren't quarterbacks. They're not the number one overall pick. They don't live in stadiums. I mean, wow. Baker Mayfield. Conditional fifth round pick. Boy, it's, it's gonna be, you know, it, it's when you when you have a punk like Baker Mayfield. It's easy to dislike him unless he's on your team. If he's on your team, he's your punk and you pull for him. I get that. But if he's not on your team and you never really liked him and, and you know, he's part of this whole QW era um, and then he goes to one of your division rivals, it, it makes it even easier to hate him. So that's going to be fun, interesting. I mean, I don't think there's a I don't think there's nearly as much difference between Darnold and uh and Baker Mayfield as most people would like to think. It's just that uh Mayfield was in a better situation. Darnold is not that great. I mean, he's probably a third round talent just like Baker Mayfield. I mean, I, I, you know, I heard a lot of people raving when he came out about him, and I'm like, man, the cat threw a lot of picks in college. Like, how many is he going to throw in the NFL? Then he goes to a team that decides to put all their eggs in one basket, and the guy's too little, and he's hurt all the time. So they don't really have an offense. So um, we'll see how all that plays out. You know that little promo we do where I say, it's the major leagues. If they hit you the ball, catch it. That's the way that works. Well, what that was was a game in Oakland 
couple years ago, and Icky was playing left field actually in that game. That's how long I know. And they and he actually, to his credit, to his defense, he actually was on his knees, but they hit him the ball. It was two outs and runners in scoring position situation. They hit a little soft liner to left, and he kind of went down, and you know, the ball was, I don't know a foot above the ground or maybe a foot and a half above the ground. And, and his glove was right there and it, it went up, it just clanged off his glove. Well, the last two nights, all of a sudden, Icky who look, Icky's been tremendous. And for those of you who don't know who Icky is, it, it's Kyle Tucker. And I, I nicknamed him Ichabod Crane because he's so goofy. I mean, that is a goofy cat. And, He's one that I was wrong about. He came up, had a cup of coffee, looked horrendous. Came up, had a second cup of coffee, looked horrendous. Like, awful. I'm like, this is the worst top-notch prospect I've ever seen. And I was I was right on the verge of giving up for him. And he's been fabulous. I mean, tremendous. Love the fact that he's on the Astros. And I hope they sign him long-term. He's been tremendous. But... This bit that, you know, every, you know, every once in a while is fine, but that's two games in a row. He did it two nights ago. He did it last night. All of a sudden, the cat can't catch a fly ball. He's so goofy. I, you know, I like the fact <laughs> it it's probably not good. It's probably good to be even keel, as they say. But every time he mishits a ball and he pops up or something, he slams his bat on the ground. Because I kind of like that because that's kind of how you feel as a fan, you know. Runners on second and third, one out, and the cat pops up. You know, I don't always, you know, normally do it. But in my mind, I'm essentially slamming a bat on the ground. And he does it all the time. So I like the fact that he's, like, real. Oh, he's real. But, man, come on, cat. Catch the ball. When they hit it to you, catch it. That's two nights in a row. He, he Now, again, these were not cans of corn, high pop-ups that he just missed. These were line drives, but still, it's the major leagues. If they hit it to you, catch it. He got all turned around last night. Then he still could have caught it. He didn't even stretch out. I don't know what he was doing. It's almost like he didn't see it. Maybe they didn't check that cat's eyes. It's one loss, but I, but I told y'all last week, Watch out for the Kansas City Royals. The Astros cannot get them out. They cannot get this team out. I know they're in last place. I know they don't do anything against anybody else. But they just can't get the I mean, how do you get the Kansas City Royals out? Well, the rest of the league sure knows how to. That's how come they're in last place in July. Astros cannot get them out. Can't get them out. They have no idea. Like, it, it's been, you know, uh, seriously, teams for the last month have had trouble getting the five hits. The, 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 the Royals get to five hits at the end of the second inning. Can't get the Royals out. Can't get them out. Like, if I'm one of these other American League playoff teams, I know it's illegal, but just for to make a point, they should just trade their whole team for the line, not, 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 not not the whole team, the whole lineup. I'm not saying the Royals can pitch. Don't get me wrong. Their pitching is not good. Hold on. 
But they can hit. They can hit the Astros, that's for sure. This cat Melendez. I mean, seriously, raise your hand if you've ever, when the season started, if you even knew who this cat Melendez was. Salvador Perez, who the Astros could not get out last year. Couldn't get him out. He gets hurt, so I'm like, man, that might actually help the Astros get the Royals out. Ah. This cat Melendez comes in, he just, he has hit three home runs. He just, he punches the ball into the into the hole last night. Too. I mean, it's unbelievable. Can't get this guy. I mean, how do you get Melendez out? I don't even know this guy's first name. Like CJ or TJ Melendez or something. Unbelievable. Can't get him out. I mean, seriously, how do you get the Kansas City Royals out? I mean, they, you know, they got like one of the worst records in baseball. Now the Astros are going to play another one. Another guy cannot get out, Elvis Andrus. That's who they play next, the A's. Cannot get Elvis Andrus out. Have no chance of ever getting him out. It's unbelievable. Elvis Andrus, 85 years old, still can't get him out. <sighs> unbelievable. Catch the ball, cat. They hit it to you, catch it. Hopefully Verlander. Hopefully Verlander knows how to get him out. I mean, I was hoping Christian Javier, boom, 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 boom. It's the fireworks, 4th of July all over again. Boom, just crushing balls. Dozier ain't, Dozier's not good. Javier had no chance of getting him out. None, none, no chance of getting him out. Just crushing home runs. Just fireworks. Every time, the, the Royals cannot wait to play the Astros. Can't wait. They they are they probably when when the schedule comes out whenever that is they probably just they can't the, the first thing they look at is when do we get to play the Astros the Royal the Kansas City Royals haven't been good in five or six years awful but not against the Astros can't beat them can't get them out well they they, they can win games they've won the first two games because they outscored them. Unbelievable. I mean, how do you get out the Kansas City Royals? I mean, how do you do it? I don't know. How do you, this guy Melinda, I don't even know who this guy is. Can't get him out. Cannot get him out. And, and, and more importantly, moving forward, they can't get out Andrew Benintendi because all the talk is that Benintendi is going to the Yankees. And you can bet that the Yankees have said, you know what? The Astros can't get the Royals out. Maybe we should trade for one for a, one of them Royals. Now, the sickening thing about that is Benintendi came up with the Red Sox before he went to the Royals. That should be illegal. That's scum of the earth kind of stuff. With you, a, a Yankee should never have an ex Red Sox on their team, and an ex Red and a Red Sox should never have an, an a Yankee ex Yankee on their team. But that's that's all. That's one of the hot rumors. We haven't really got to it yet, but that's one of the hot rumors. Is that Benintendi's going to go to the Yankees? And so, uh, and and I mean, the Astros didn't get him out in this whole series. That cat was on base every time he got up. And by the way, for those of you who's like, "What? Well, what are you talking about?" He went to. Somebody going two for four, three for four, that's not getting them out. That's hitting 500. If you hit 500 for your career, you're the best baseball player in the history of the sport, okay? So if someone goes two for four with a walk, that's not getting them out. Getting them out is one for four, one for five, 0 for four, 0 for three. That's getting them out. 
So when I say they, they never get that guy out, they can't get him out. If they go three for four, technically they've gotten him out that one time, but probably that's just base. You didn't probably get him out. Baseball. If they can't win three for four, you ain't figured out how to get him out. Baseball got him out one time, and, and he got a hit against you three times. Just, just so y'all kind of know what, how I think. But it, it, two for four is not getting someone out. That's 500. If you hit 500 for your career, you're the greatest player ever by a long shot. That's not getting them out. Unbelievable. All right. Got lots to do today. Got lots to talk about off the field with Baker Mayfield and the Kansas City Royals. I mean, I sure hope Verlander's figured out how to get out. This is getting old. I mean, look, the fireworks stuff is over with. Yesterday I get home and they still got people popping fireworks. And, of course, by that time, the Royals had already hit uh, two home runs. Fireworks. Like, can we get this 4th of July stuff over with? All these fireworks. When the Royals swing the bat against the Astros pitching, it's fireworks. It's unbelievable. Hopefully... Verlander today brings an end, puts an end to the fireworks. And fortunately, we don't have to play the Royals. After they don't have to play the Royals for the rest of the season. Can you imagine if the Astros had to play the Royals like six or seven more times? I mean, it'd be unbelievable. Oh, I can't take that. The Royals. I mean, how do you get them out? Hopefully, Verlander knows how to. Let's take one call, and then we'll go to our first break. Hello. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning. Hey. Oh, the Royals give the Astros oh, trouble. Oh, can't get them out. Can't get them out. Hey, I was watching the game on Major League Baseball yesterday. The channel, uh, the Chicago White Sox and the Twins. Uh-huh. The game went into extra innings. Okay. So, at the top of the 10th, they had this guy running the second base uh, talking about how fast he was in and all of that. I'm like, when did this start? So, apparently when the game goes into extra innings now, they start a man at second base? Yeah, they started that two years ago when the, when the pandemic came. And they, they had decided, after, they did it again last year. And then they at the beginning, in the offseason, they decided they weren't going to do that anymore. Then when the stupid lockout, Messed up spring training. Right. They said, well, let's go ahead and keep it for one more year. So, yeah, it, it's silly, and the it, Astros are terrible it at is. it. Yeah, it's, it's silly. Very silly. Yeah. They do that in the playoffs in World Series? No, 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 no. They don't do that in the postseason. That's just it's a regular, regular season thing. Yeah, that's just a regular season. Oh, that's what I was about to say. Yeah, it's silly. <laughs> that, that, it's that, to save pitchers' right, arms. It's to save pitchers' arms. They, they have trouble. They don't have enough pitchers, and they're talking about expansion. I mean, how stupid is that? They don't have enough pitchers uh, now. How they, how they got enough pitchers to if they're going to expand it by two? And then people are going to start exactly. hitting home runs, and then they're going to start wanting to change their own. It's just silliness. Expansion is evil. Yeah, you can go back and forth. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Astros should be good today with Verlander. I hope. We are playing the Royals. I mean, how do you get Melendez out? I don't know how to get him out. <laughs> Hey, I've been hearing y'all need a running back. You need a running back, huh? Yes, yes. Uh, you got you know, one you for know me? My team, you know my team's got a stable of running backs on Kevin. I mean, we got 
I'm not bragging or anything, but I think we got four guys that could start for somebody. Well, give me one of them. Who you giving me? <laughs> Don't okay. be greedy. You Why are you being give greedy? Up, give me one of them. Give up a lot, but we can work something out. Well, the the, the Arnold's <laughs> traded a, a conditional fifth round pick for the number one overall pick quarterback. How much will it take I've to get that. a running back? <laughs> I don't know, Kevin. Anyway, good talking to you. Thank you. I appreciate the call, sir. All right. We'll take a timeout. Luke Johnson on the other side. Stay tuned. What was is, – is that a uh, MJ Melendez fireworks song? Is that what that is? Welcome back to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're on for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Speaking of the Astros, if you would like to see the Astros play the Seattle Mariners on Saturday, July the 30th, you can be there, but first you have to register for the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. If you do, you could win four tickets to that game, hotel accommodations, and a tour of Minute Maid Park. Astro Weekend Getaways powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian, Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, we have with a special guest, our old friend Luke Johnson of theadvocateandnola.com. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, man. It's been a long time. Yes, it has. And, and and you, unfortunately or fortunately, I guess, depending on how you look at it, I need you to do me a favor, okay? I'm a little uh, fired up today more than I normally am in the middle of the summertime. Can your brewers please trade for Andrew Benintendi? Can that happen? <laughs> I hope so, man. I, I think he's he's the guy I, like on the trade block who I'm like most uh, interested, uh, interested by. Um, so, and like my team, um, has a serious, uh, problem with just making contact with the baseball. So I I really like, love that. Yes. You need, you need offense. So So any team that wants to beat the Astros in the playoff, they should all just be flooding out to, to try to acquire any Royals player. Cause the Astros can get the Yankees out, the Mets out, the angels, all these girls, the little MVPs and all, they can get them all out. But if they face the Kansas city Royals, I mean, seriously, how do you get out MJ Melendez? I don't know because the Astros cannot get him out. It seems like he needs to play 162 games a year against the Astros. Yes. To be an MVP player. Oh, yeah. The Red Sox, they should trade for MJ Melendez. That's who they should trade for. I mean, who knew him? Did you, have you ever even heard of going into the season of MJ Melendez? I'm going to be honest with you, Kevin. The uh, the first time I ever heard of NJ Melendez was was during the commercial break when uh, I, I don't know if you were aware I was listening, but you were ranting about MJ Melendez. Oh, so, unbelievable! That was the first time. Unbelievable. Anyway, all right, we'll get off of that. Saints, um, are you feeling a little better than a than a year ago at this time? When I was convinced this was the best Saints roster I've ever seen, and then they went through the most unlucky season of all time, and I'm still convinced this is the best roster in Saints history. I know you probably don't believe that, but are you, what are you feeling about the roster right now? Yeah, I feel a lot better about it this year than I did going into last year. Um, yeah, I think they're deeper. Um, yeah, maybe they, they're missing some some players who I think are going to – it's going to hurt not having regardless of what you think about Teron Armstead, you know, with, with the amount of time he's missed for injuries, uh, you know, last season in particular, um, when he's on the field, I mean, he's the top three, uh, NFL left tackle and you know, they might not have that this year. Um, but uh, yeah, I think 
otherwise you're looking at this roster. I think they made a step up in every other way. Um, yeah, their receiving depth is much better. Um, I really like the combination of safeties they have back there with Ty- uh, Tyron Matthew and uh, Marcus May. I think I like that better than the Marcus Williams and um, and uh, that Malcolm Jenkins combination. Um, you, know, you had some guys last year who really stepped up that you weren't sure would. Uh, Paulson Adebo, I think, is gives you a really solid option as a starting corner. And if he doesn't come through, then you got Bradley Roby and maybe Elante Taylor waiting right there for him. Um, yeah, I, I just like where they're at at pretty much every position on this roster. The only really question you have is is what are they going to get out of Jameis for a full season? And if if they get you know, good quarterback play out of him, I think they're going to be a playoff team. I, I don't think there's any question about that. Whereas last year, I was, I was maybe a little bit less certain about that. All right, so I, I think in my mind going into the season and again none of us know you know look at what happened to this team last year it was just decimated by bad luck and injuries and I mean it was just awful but nightmare so none of us know what's going to happen that could that same thing could happen again this year obviously but not knowing what's going to happen going into the season I have two major concerns one the running back situation they've got to get a running back and, and there are plenty of running backs out there and while we're on that subject the, the 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 Arnolds traded a conditional fifth round pick for the former number one overall quarterback in a QW quarterback worshiping era of the NFL. So what will it take for the Saints to get a Kareem Hunt or a uh, a Kenyon Drake? I mean, if if you can get a starting quarterback for a fifth round condition, what what does it take for a running back? You think? Um, I, I would say yeah, it, the, the going price for like a like a starting caliber player, I, I think. Baker Mayfield is a little bit of a, a little bit of an outlier because um, yeah, they, the Browns didn't really have much leverage there, right? He was never going to see the field for him this year. Um, so I think if you're if you're looking at like a like a starting caliber player like a Kareem Hunt, um, it's probably going to be like a third, uh, like they gave up last year for uh, Bradley Roby. Um, I think if you're looking at somebody like Kenyon Drake, who's locked into more of a like a Mark Ingram type of role, I think you're probably looking at something like a fifth. Um, you know, I, I just think um, it kind of depends on which type of running back you're looking at. But there's also it happens every year. Um, you know, where, where you know a, a team has some undrafted guy come in who's a lot better than they're expecting. You know, Tony Jones last year for the Saints, right? They were they were really into Tony Jones at the end of training camp last year and they ended oh, up cutting yeah. Latavius him. Murray. Yeah. who had a pretty good season for the Ravens. So like I, I just think that um that's a position where you can you can pretty much bank on on somebody being there um on you know September first that you weren't expecting to be there and you know that's a guy who can help your team and you know in, in the event that the worst thing happens. All right. So I'm thinking that the Saints are thinking that they're pretty good, more like I'm thinking they're really good. And so do you think it's a good idea to bank your season on Abram Smith being as good as they think he might be? Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that, that you can you can get by in the NFL with with okay running back play if – if the rest of your, your roster is pretty good, like if their if their line stays healthy and plays well, uh, you could get by with Abram Smith. If if their receiving uh, core is as good as we're all kind of anticipating it, it, it'll be you can get by with Mark Ingram and Abram Smith or Tony Jones or something like that. But if you're in the situation where you're where, that you're in last year, 
where your receiving talent is really bad. Your quarterback play isn't that good because they're all getting hurt. You're shuffling through a constant changing offensive line every week. Then it's 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 going to expose you. Um, so, like, I, I don't think it's ideal, but I, I think that it's it's not going to kill you if that's something that you have to do. And especially because you, know, you can, you really, really, legitimately can find somebody who's who's going to be capable. If like a guy, if everything else is working and it's just the guy who's not working, you can find somebody out there. It, it always happens. Like guys come off this like this, you know the Browns had Dearness Jackson last year come out of nowhere and rush for like 150 yards when Kareem Hunt and uh, Nick Chubb went down. Um, so I, I just don't think it's, I, I think that position in particular is not one that I, I'm going to be super concerned about, um, if everything else is going right. All right. While we're on running back, I think, and again, who knows what's going to happen none of us can predict what's going to happen in the, in the, in the justice system. But, um, I think if he's going to, if, if 41 is going to get suspended for six games, I think the best thing for the Saints would be the first six games. That's probably the least likely thing that's going to happen. Right. Yeah. Highly, highly doubtful. Uh, hey, look, they, they, this, the the court case isn't in, until like mid training camp, um, so, or, so like I, I highly doubt that yeah you know, the NFL is gonna gonna pull his stuff together and, and and get a suspension handed down at the very beginning of the season. Now, May like two years ago got a DUI and he still hasn't served his suspension. So when is that gonna happen? Uh, another guy who's got a court case coming up, I, I think, also in August. Um, I, I think keeps getting pushed back. Uh, so, um, you know, that, that's another that's another thing that we're just going to have to kind of keep waiting on on whenever that's going to happen. I, I'm sure that that is going to be a scenario where just because of how long it's been, as soon as that's resolved legally, um, the NFL is going to have you know its its uh, its suspension ready for him to come down. What and then we'll get one more question on that, and we'll get a what percentage of hope would you give it that that this um, Camara stuff lasts, and he doesn't get suspended at all this season. Not till the following year. Um, I mean, I, I'd put it at like thirty percent. Um, I, I, I think it's it's more likely than than maybe one would think, um, especially if the court case drags out. Um, you know, I, I, I think there's there's a possibility at, at the very least that it could just be a suspension that's kind of split up among the two seasons. Um, so you know, I don't think there's like a ton of precedent out there. I don't think this is going to be a thing where the NFL acts super quickly on this. Um, you know, and that's even considering the fact that you know, this this case might drag out for another couple months. You just don't know about it. All right, my number two concern. Not, and I agree with your prior. I'm fine with your prior statement. I mean, I'm not absolutely convinced, but I'm okay with your statement that you prefer this year's safeties to to. to to last year's set of safeties, but potentially and youth-wise and talent-wise and big play potential-wise and all that. But here's my concern. What was that, two or three years ago, whenever those two came together for the first time, it took about five games before they were really playing at a high level. I mean, I still have nightmares about the Oakland Raider, you know, the game against the Raiders in Las Vegas. I mean, they they had they couldn't defend them. They couldn't stop anyone. They couldn't they, – they really – it took a while. So – 
I think one of the most important things, if not the most important thing about this season, the the schedule at the beginning of the year is very favorable. The schedule from about week nine on is not favorable at all. So I think it's absolutely essential, one of the most underrated things, that these safeties get on on the same page with each other and the rest of the defense early on because they cannot afford to give away a game against an inferior team in the first month. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree with that, and I totally remember that first uh, that first portion of the season. Uh, but you also got to remember that that was the 2020 season. Um, so yeah, those guys were all. I mean, they had a lot of new pieces in that secondary, and they didn't get any mini camps, OTAs, or anything like that to work together, uh, and get to know each other. Um, you know, and, and no preseason games either. Um, so I think I'm a little less concerned about like uh, like how long it's going to take them to to really gel. Uh, just because we've already seen Tyron Matthew and Marcus May on the field together. Um, and, you know, they're, they're going to get a chance to, to get a full training camp and full preseason. They're going to get, uh, you know, a week of practices in Green Bay. Um, yeah, I think they're, it's not going to take them nearly as long, and I, I don't think you're going to see, you know, another repeat of the Darren Waller game where he's, he's got 12 catches for 150 yards because they have nobody who can figure out how to cover him. Um, I think they'll be in good shape. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I think you're right, though. Like, I, I think – that um, they really can't afford to get off to like a slow start with it while they're incorporating some of these new pieces in, um, especially considering that how much of their, their early chunk of the season is on the road. I, I mean, they are going to be, look, it's not just the regular season. They're, they're spending a week in green Bay. Um, you know, they're, they're going to, they're, they're playing two out of their three, three preseason games on the road. They're on the road in week one, they're on the road in week three, and then they spend a week in London. Um, for week four, uh, you know, that's, that's a lot of, a lot, a lot of time away from home. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think they gotta, they gotta make sure that they don't like fall in a little pit there um, while they're kind of getting on that challenging road schedule, at least, because I think the, uh, the back and the, the schedule just in terms of the quality of opponents is much more difficult. All right. So one more question before uh, a break, what do you, who, who is Quan Alexander going to be with in September? Oh man, that's a tough one. I, yeah, I think that might just be a, a scenario where he really waits and sees if you know if some some big name linebacker uh, suffers a season-ending injury in training camp or something like that. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be he's, he's going to be a, in, a, in a spot where he's he's really picking his spot based on um, based on a you know, place that needs him and and you know wants a is like capable of going to the playoffs that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, I just it's it's really hard to look at it now. Yeah, if he's not signed now, I think teams are probably waiting for the same thing. You know, they're they're looking at a veteran player out there who can help if they really need it. So you don't like his chances of being in New Orleans? I don't. No, um, the Saints are are really really committed to Pete Werner. Um, they really like him. I think they they think he's going to have a, a, a breakout year. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think they want to mess with. Um, you know, bringing somebody in to compete with him. Um, I think they're handing the, the keys to him and, and letting him go. He was better than I thought he was going to be. What about the depth at that position? Um, well, you know, I, I think I, – I don't know. They, yeah, they, they've got the two really, really good off-ball linebackers, Pete Werner and Demario Davis. Um, outside of that, I don't really know what they have there. Um, you know, Zach Bond and, and Caden Ellis are just kind of you – know, they are what they are. You know, they're, they're going to play the – 10 or 11 snaps of the base defense and hopefully not mess up. And outside of that, I don't know what they bring you. Zach Bond, 
I just think got drafted into a bad situation for the type of player he is. The Saints thought he could be an off-ball linebacker, and I just really don't think he is. Um, and, uh, you know, they've got the, the rookie there, uh, DeMarco Jackson, who I've, I've heard good things about, but I didn't really get a chance to see it at, at many camps and OTAs. Um, and they had yeah, the guy who was an undrafted free agent last year that made the team. Which guy are you thinking of? Oh, uh, it was a linebacker. I don't know. I have to look at the roster. But w- w- there was a guy who made the team as an undrafted free agent last year, wasn't there? Or did he just get well, there was, I think there was uh, Andrew Dowell who yeah. who played really, really well in, in uh, training camp and made the team. I, I think he might have been like a second-year player. Right. Yeah, that's like what I'm talking about. The yeah. guy yeah. year before. Um, I, I mean, he's he's solid. But I think if you've, if you've got to count on him for a lot of snaps, I, I don't know what you're going to get out of him. Right. Um, you know, he's kind of undersized and – um, you know, he's not not an ideal player in that role. So I, I don't know if the depth, like the depth was better last year when you had Quan and Pete Werner. Um, but yeah, I think the the starting players have a chance to be better this year with Pete Werner just playing the the line share of the snaps there. All right, we'll take a timeout and come back and shift gears to a couple other subjects that I want to. Catch back up with Luke before while he continues to catch his breath like me, and then um, you know the long football season begins. We'll take a timeout and we'll be back on the game. One zero three seven Lafayette, one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do you ever wonder what kind of coach Foot would have been when they hit it to you and you're in the major leagues? You catch the ball. That's the way that works. Yeah. He may be better suited for talking sports than coaching them. Back to footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote speaking with Luke Johnson. Before we get back to Luke, I want to remind you, one, the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles would like to hook you up with a new Apple Watch. All you need to do is join the new brand new text club. Text GAME, G-A-M-E, to 337-288-8100. That's 288-8100, and you will be eligible to win a new Apple Watch, as well as put your name in the hat for all kind of other great prizes like Astro tickets. Just hope they're not playing the Royals in the great MJ Melendez. Um, it's the game text club. Find out more at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com today. All right. I have a few people I want to ask you about, Luke. Do What are the chances that, this, in your mind, that the Saints think a little higher about the future of Cesar Ruiz than the fan base does, or is he really playing for a for his future this year with the, with the Saints? I think it's 100% higher than the fan base. <laughs> I think it's a very low bar to clear, though. Uh, <laughs> look, I, I, think the, I think the Saints are – have shown that they're confident in him, uh, or at least that they, they trust he's going to take a step forward by uh, basically doing nothing to add to the guard room this off season. Um, yeah. That's, it's going to be his job and Andres feet job. And then, yeah, I think the only spot where you're going to, you're going to see any sort of competition is that left tackle where it's, it's either going to be Trevor Penning and James Hurst. I think that's, yeah, it's already um, leaning towards Trevor Penning um, for that role. Uh, Cause he's a first round pick. Um, so, um, I think this is an important year for him, though, right? But, you know, this is uh, we're we're about to enter year three for him. 
Um, and, you know, first two years he's had excuses uh, for why his, his play is not exactly where, where the Saints want it to be. Um, you know, there, there were some good things about him last year. He was the only guy to stay healthy, right? I think he, he actually showed um, in some games some improvement. But, you know, there was, there was other games where he was, he was really awful. Um, and, and they need him to be better. Um, and, and, you know, he's, he's had the full off season and, and there's really no more excuses for him. Uh, they need him to produce. Uh, do you think the Saints are pretty high on Landon Young? Do I sense that correctly? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think they're high on him in, in terms of they, they think he's he's a, an NFL football player who can contribute to the team. Right. I'm talking about as a yeah, backup. I don't think they're high on him in a, in a sense of like we're, we're we're counting on this guy that maybe starts some games for us this year. Um, but yeah, he's he's definitely a guy who's going to be in their rotation. Um, he's probably going to be active on game days. Um, I, I'd like to see if they they try to give him a look inside uh, during training camp. Let, let him work at guard some and see if that's that's something he can do. And I, I think that makes him more valuable because right now he's he's kind of like their their top. Um, Back up to the backup uh, at offensive tackle, which you know that was important last year. He played, he started a game last year, he played some last year, um, but I, I think he gives the team a lot more value if he's able to swing inside and play some guard as well. So right. I'm looking forward to seeing if they do that because I, I do think the team likes him in, in a sense of of he's he's a valuable depth position player there. Right. Everyone loves Smoke Monday. I, you know, I don't feel like Smoke Monday is going to make the team. But what are, what are your thoughts of Bri- Justin Evans and Bryce Thompson and their ability to make the team? I uh, really like both guys. Um, different kinds of players, I think. Um, Bryce Thompson, if he was if he was six foot one, uh, would have probably been like a like a third or fourth round draft pick. Um, yeah, the, the the fact of the matter is he's like five nine, right? And he's and he plays. Uh, you know, he, he came in as a safety. It's it's going to be hard to make a team, um, but like he he spent the whole year with the team last year in training camp, uh, or in uh, in uh, on the practice squad. Um, he got a lot a lot of chance to, to chances to work with these guys and play the scout team and and see how the the defense operates. Um, I think that's helped him. I, I tell you, he had a really really nice um, mini camp OTA session. Um, you know, he, he clearly knows what he's doing. And I, I think he has he has a chance to make it as as you know contributing on special teams and, and coming in maybe helping out as a, a dime defender. Um, Justin Evans, you know, I, I mean, he was a, a second round draft pick, and you can see why. You know, he's he's a very physical player, and um, you know, he's got really good athleticism. I think he's got a, a solid chance of making the team, especially just because they I, they don't know what the what the status is going to be with with Marcus May with um, you know, both coming off his, his injury. Remember he, he tore his Achilles last year and, you know, he, he could be facing NFL discipline at really any moment. Um, so, you know, right now their only backup there is, is they, that has played NFL football is PJ Williams. And if uh, Justin Evans has gotten over some of the, the injury problems that kind of wrecked the start of his career in Tampa, uh, I think he could be a, a really, really solid depth option there. Uh, so you're not having to play JT Gray at safety. Um, JT Gray is a really, really good special teamer, but I, I think he's he's gives you limited value at safety. So um, the two guys that I, I really like their chances of of making the team, and um, you know we'll, we'll see with Smoke Monday. Like I, I think it's really hard for a rookie to come in and just like 
flash in mini camps or OTAs uh, just because uh, you, know, you don't get a chance to see anything else they can do. Um, I, I think training camp is going to be a really important time for him. And, and you know, even if he doesn't make the, the squad straight up, I think there's a, there's a decent chance he's on the practice squad. What are your expectations for Peyton Turner this year? Oh, man, if he's healthy, I think he can be really good. Um, you know, he's, he's medically cleared. Um, the, the brief stuff that we saw from him last year, he was great. Um, but I, you know, obviously he's got to show he can stay healthy, <laughs> right? Um, he only played five games in his rookie season, and and even even those five games, like like he missed a big chunk of training camp. Um, so we we didn't get to see a lot of him, but like when he was on the field, he looked great. You know that that debut game he had against Carolina, like he was like the only thing that went well for him in that game. Um, he had something like five tackles, three tackles for loss, and a sack uh, in his NFL debut. Uh, I, like I, I really do think that that just watching watching him practice and go up against NFL offensive linemen, like that's that's the kind of player that you see the potential for. But I, I feel like every time I'm saying this sort of thing, right, it sounds like I'm talking about Marcus Davenport. We've been talking about Marcus Davenport's potential for years. Yes. Um, and, and he's never been able to stay healthy. So uh, I, I really want to see him stay healthy. And if he can be, like if he can get there, I, I really think the Saints found a gem in him. All right. I knew we wouldn't have enough time to get to everything, but that's just the way life goes. I appreciate uh, you letting us catch up with you a little bit. And, and in the meantime, again, I probably won't talk to we probably won't talk again. Maybe, you know, maybe one time at the beginning of camp because I know you're going to be real busy. But remember, Andrew Benintendi, the Brewers need a trade for him. Did he go four for four the other night? Something oh, like that. Oh, I think he got on base thirteen times in three games. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll take that for my Brewers. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and whenever they do make the trade for him, I'll send you a picture of me drinking a beer. Uh, that, we'll count that uh, cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Let's celebrate. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Luke. Appreciate right, it. Thanks. Yeah, no problem, man. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Luke Johnson. Luke kind of gets me. Um, and so it, 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 it works. Appreciate his time. And man, I hope Peyton, Tur- man, I just, I really think this is the best Saints roster ever. I just hope they can stay healthy. I, I'm trying not to think about it. I really, I really, it, it, it's not healthy for me to think about how good I think this team can be. We'll take a timeout, come back, finish out the first hour next on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Footnotes. Want to remind you, join the game clubhouse. It can help you with your date night blues, or you just need a pick me up after you had to after you tried to get MJ Melendez out and just failed miserably. You need a pick me up, and the way to do it is to join the game clubhouse, where you might win a hundred fifty dollar gift certificate to Mister Lesser Steakhouse or a fifty dollar gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House perhaps a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. Or you might win Astro tickets to see the Mariners. And unless they trade them at the trade deadline, MJ Melendez doesn't play for the Mariners. And so you have a you have a chance to have a good evening as an Astro fan there too. But again, you can't win any of these great prizes unless you go to the game clubhouse and join today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. One of the people that I wanted to ask, and we just ran out of time, is um, Street. That you know, he, he came from the Cheaters, but I think him, along with Peyton Turner, along with um, you know the other depth pieces from last year that were large, like um, 
the guy that they got from the um, Chiefs with the name who most of us can't pronounce. Um, uh, I think the defensive line has a chance to just be fabulous. I mean, I've always been intrigued with Carl Granderson, and supposedly he looked great in camp. I don't in little OTAs. I don't know what any of that means, but um, he has shown flashes in the past. I think the depth on the defensive line, if people are healthy, again, that's the big qualifier, is way better than people think. Uh, I really like it, and we'll 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 we'll, we'll get to Luke again during camp at some point. Um, but no, his concerns about being on the road and the schedule early on are very real concerns. So we need to, that's something that they need to to get settled. But I even like the depth at safety. To his point, uh, a lot of good things to be excited about. I need, it's not healthy for me to think about that. So we'll take a time out. Come back. Shift gears to Cajun basketball history. Right after this time out on the game, one hundred three seven Lafayette, one hundred four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into or back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. And right now, we're about to talk. We've talked about it some so far this week, but we're about to dive headfirst into some Cajun basketball history. We have a very special guest on the line, Mr. Rich Jinks. How are you, sir? Talk to you today. Well, for those people my age or maybe just a little bit younger than me and older than me, um, and who spent a lot of time at Blockman in the early years of the Cajun Dome and know about Cajun basketball history, you should know or remember they used to have these crazy fools that used to sit behind the bench at, at Blockham and they wore these, they had these T-shirts with red dots on them, and this is the man who started all of that, and he's seen lots of Cajun basketball uh, over the years. So tell us about that. Well, that that's the Red Dot Club that was I was uh, just kind of broke out of us going to a UNO game. Myself, Cliff Broussard, we grew up on the north side of town, and at Blackham, uh, you know the Graylin Warner, Dion Brown, Alonzo Allen years, great basketball, and we had probably ten to twenty of us. Uh, a few girls mixed in, mostly just diehard guy uh, UL basketball fan. Most of us had just graduated from UL. So we all, you know, back then you couldn't, they weren't even selling beer in the, in the, in the arena, but, you know, somehow we snuck some in and had a great time. And then we'd, we'd make the trip to UNO. And if you remember, the UNO games were just epic. They had great teams. We had great teams in that little bitty arena, uh, the Chamber of Horrors, they call it. So, yes. Uh, Lucius Broussard, who you know, he had a aunt in New Orleans. His buddy had a van. So we all loaded up. Games at seven. Of course, we had a few cocktails to get ready. Uh, and that night, right before that game, a couple of days before, Cliff and I uh, were on the north side of town on Moss Street, and there was this little T-shirt place called Good Hope Printing. So we went in there and had a sign, Dollar T-shirt. So we're still poured right out of college. Hey, Dollar T-shirt. Well, they had printed these these festival shirts in Savannah, Georgia, but they got them printed after the festival so they just covered them up with a real a big red dot 
And I said, Cliff, let's get about for 20 bucks. We'll have the whole game covered for the UNO game, and we're, we'll head to UNO with that. So we did, thinking it's a one-time deal. And if you remember, Channel 15 would cover tape delay home games, but we'll do live big games, either at home if we play in Auburn or something like right, that, or right. on the road like a UNO. So this just happened to be a live Channel 15 game. And the cameraman, I guess, fell in love with us. So every time they went for timeout, they're showing us red dots going crazy in the stands. And it was a heck of a game. Alonzo Allen hit the game winner from the corner with about 30 seconds to go. And so that was it. It was going to be a one-time deal. And then we come back, and everybody's like, oh, man, this is great. Y'all got to do this stuff at home. And we're like, no, that was a one-time deal. And everybody just talked us into it. And then it, it, it continued and went on for years. And uh, the uh, uh, Sports Illustrated even missioned us. And uh, it, it was it was fun time. So, and then at some point, did, did, like newspapers got involved, right? Was that, that's all part I'll, of the deal? I'll tell you how that started. You know, we're like, like, like you are, we're just basketball and sports junkies. So one night I'm watching ESPN and, University of Wyoming's on at like 10 o'clock at night. And the students of Wyoming did this thing. So, man, I wrote, it down, wrote down what they said. Like they put when, you know, if you remember, you'd, I don't know if they do it this way now, but then they, they, they call the opposing team. Then they'd, throw, they'd, they'd get the starting line, uh, starting lineup of the home team. Right. So when they would do the opposing team, these, these people would put a newspaper like they're bored to death, and they'd call that point guard so-and-so, and they'd all yell in unison, uh, big deal. The next one would be, who cares? So what? So I wrote down that little phrase and we copied it. And it was just our little group of like 20, right? And then it spread. And the next thing you know, the, the cheerleaders, when you walked in the game, were handing out daily advertisers, <laughs> uh, probably with, with Kevin Foot articles in them and Will Weathers articles and things like that. And everybody had a paper. But the coolest thing, and we had all kind of props by the end, but I remember when we'd have those epic games against Lamar. If you remember Mike Oliver, B.B. King oh, coming yes. to town, they'd bring, bring that Texas flag and just piss us off, basically. <laughs> anyway, I looked up at that one, and all 8,000 that they could cram in Blackham had a newspaper. I said, you know, this is pretty cool. So that's kind of how that started. And the four cheerleaders would hand them out. And then, every, then when they'd say, and now the Cajuns, and you'd roll them up and throw the papers, and the cheerleaders would have to pick up the papers. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just tremendous stuff. Again, we're speaking with uh, longtime Cajun basketball fan Rich Jinks. So um, who, would you, who do you hate more, Billy Tubbs or Tim Floyd? Hmm. You know, I – Probably Billy Tubbs. But then when he almost died in, you know, jogging in what is a Walkman in and got hit by a car, then yeah. I felt sorry for him. But <laughs> I think it's Billy Tubbs. Tim Floyd, I just respected how what a great coach he was. But but Tubbs was just so arrogant and they would you know, I've I've you know, since moved to Texas and I kinda get how everybody's so proud of Texas, but they would come out with Blackham packed to the hilt and they'd run around that court with that big old Texas flag, just throwing it in your face. And then what made it a great rivalry is that both teams were awesome. We had yes. Andrew Tony and they had Oliver and I mean we just had we were stacked both ways. So it was some of the best basketball in the country when they'd play us and then we'd go to Lamar and play them. It was it it was tremendous. And it's been a long time since I told this story and I 
I guess this was 78, maybe 79, uh, probably Andrew's senior year, probably 79. And and I, for whatever reason, I ended up with a ticket. I was in junior high then. But I ended up with a ticket in the middle of the Lamar, well, like a bunch of Lamar students. And I'm sitting right next to two Lamar students. And the whole game, we're, they're trying to convince me that Mike Oliver's better than Andrew Tony, And I'm like, are you people crazy? Have y'all ever seen this cat play? And, of course, the Cajuns <laughs> won that night, and that was just a great memory. I'm proving them wrong. Oh, you're so right. Andrew, uh, as Dick Vitale say, that's an MM. That was a mismatch. <laughs> Mike Oliver was good, but yeah. Andrew Tony was phenomenal. He, he, Andrew Tony, if he wouldn't have had foot problems in the NBA, would be Hall of Fame. I, he I, was, yes. and, I, and I used to play pickup ball with him. I went to Northside, and, and we would play pickup ball. Pascal Mitchell, you remember, he was a senior when I was a freshman. So as I'm coming up playing ball at Northside, Pascal's there, Calvin Fields. And I would play pickup ball with him, and there's nobody I've ever seen like Andrew Tony. I mean, he was just it. Now, now, did you play ball uh, for Coach Hill with Ron Bajon at Northside? I did. Ron Bajon, Michael Robertson, Gerald Boudreau, and I were co-captains of that team. And uh, and then right before us was Phils and Pascal Mitchell. It's great tradition. Coach Hill was uh, – just an unbelievable coach. Just great fundamentals, great defense. Don't turn the ball over. If you don't play defense and you and you turn it over, I don't care if you're Michael Jordan, you're going to sit the pond. <laughs> but if you can not turn it over and play great D, then you know maybe you can score. But you had to do that for sure. That that that's great old school basketball. So so am I sensing that uh, you know in those in those eras that you know in that era Lamar was you know UNO was a big deal. But to me, UNO didn't become the more hated rival until Tim Floyd got there. Lamar, was that your most, or was it McNeese or, or Tech, or which rival did you hate the most? Well, it was Lamar, but McNeese uh, was, at that time, was great, too. They had Joe Dumars. And here's an interesting story. You know, when, when the Cajuns won the Great Alaskan Shootout, the year before that, with Graylin and Dion and Dan Gay, we just were missing a point guard. So they didn't have a great season. They were maybe 15 and 13, but right. it, it was so obvious you needed a point guard. Well, Dumars was going to come here, but then we got Johnny Collins. And Dumars didn't realize how great he was and said, well, if they got that point guard named Johnny Collins, I'm going to go to McNeese. And now Dumars is in the Hall of Fame. So <laughs> yes. once, once we got – Johnny Collins, that was a missing link. And the next year we win the Great Alaskan Shootout, which was incredible. The Great Alaskan Shootout was the tournament back in the day in the early season. And uh, so so that, so with Dumars, we had some heck of a games. And George Almonds comes on. And George Almonds was, you know, Parade Magazine, All-American basketball player and football player, tremendous wide receiver. And we'd drive over to Magnese and go, Oh yeah, George is going to shut down Dumars this time, and Dumars would put thirty-eight on him, and McNeese <laughs> would beat us. So they, yeah. were, while Dumars were there, they were a pretty good rival. And then back, you go. I'm a few years older than you, so back to the Bolamar days. They had, a, they were dang good. They had, uh, oh, the big seven-footer, David Lawrence's older brother, Edmund. And Edmund, Lawrence. yeah. See, my, and they my, were tough. no, Louisiana they, they were really good. So that's what I grew up with and became diehard Cajun fan was I'm 10, 11, 12. My mom, my, my godmother, we'd go to the game and black them 
And then I, you know, the Cajuns were with Bo Lamar and Raw Ebron were the team. They made it up to fourth in the nation. Uh, Led the nation in scoring without a three-point line. Bo averaged 36 a game, and most of his shots were three-pointers. Right after that, you know, I was I remember going to the games, but I like I said, you said I was younger than you. My my second cousin was Glenn Hanks, who played at Midland High School and was on those McNeese teams right after the uh, the death penalty. And uh, I can remember going to uh, my uncle T B and Iris's house. His parents and the Lawrences would be there, Edmund Lawrence and uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and and David Lawrence. So I remember, and you just hated. Your, see, my favorite player in that era was Cordy Glenn. He used to have these big battles with John Rudd. You hated. Didn't you yeah. just hate John Rudd? I had forgot about John Rudd. Heck <laughs> of a player. And then Cordy Glenn uh, with that one hand jump shot, those big hands. He he was. He, I forgot about him, but boy, what a good player he was. Yeah, he, he was. That was good. right after Reconstruction, as I right. call it, when Tony <laughs> got here and Ted Lyles and Cordy Glenn. It didn't take long to get that ship rolling again. Absolutely, it's good. Ted Lyles still goes to the games here and there at the Cajun Dome. It, 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 it's good. It's good seeing him. So. Rich, mm-hmm. the main reason why I decided to get you on was, one, to educate people about the Red Dots and all that and kind of have some great memories. But also, uh, each summer I do what I call a footnote summer project, and this year we're doing uh, heartbreaking losses. And this is college basketball week. So if you were going to list your top two or three most heartbreaking losses for Cajun basketball, what would they be? Man, I, well, I'll tell you the one that – that's a tough question. I hadn't thought about it, but one that just jumps at me, and I, I feel the pain already. If you remember when we had Eric Mouton, uh, Marty Fletcher was a coach, and uh, oh, Michael Allen, and we beat like Oklahoma in the first round, outran them. And then we go to New Mexico State, I think. Yes. And we had that game won. And Eric was such a facilitator. And Michael Allen was a heck of a player, but Michael was greater when he played two guard and Eric would, would drive, kick it out for him. Well, Marty Fletcher, for some reason, put Eric on the bench while we're up by like eight or ten points and forgot about him. And I said, watch it. Michael Allen hadn't had a shot because Eric would create a lot of his shots. Now he's playing point guard. And he started force. I said, I could see it. He's going to force. And he started forcing. They got long rebounds. They ran. They, they ended up beating us. And that was probably, we were about to be the sweet 16. Yes. And sickening. I still blame, if Marty Fletcher's uh, listening, I still blame you for leaving <laughs> Eric on the bench too long. Well, but I blame the officials. One, I'll tell you another one, Kevin. Go ahead. Is, you, 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 I didn't even think about this, but now that you've hit these, uh, these strings, uh, myself and Steve Hess, you know, Steve, we take a ride to Birmingham when uh, Jesse Evans is coaching, and we flat out took it to Tennessee. And there were some really questionable calls at the end. And we ended up, the Phantom, I think the, the Daily Advertiser was the Phantom called, uh, the big Australian, right. Brett Smith, I think. Brett Smith, yes. in his hand, throws it down court. We dunk it to put the game away. This guy, this referee comes from 50 feet away and calls a phantom foul. And and we leave the game, and these little old ladies in their 80s said, we are so sorry those SEC referees took that game from y'all. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, I'm biased. That's something. Well, I, I, I had it taped when we had VHS tapes 
Uh-huh. And I taped the game, and it was one of the three guys. I guarantee he was on the tape. And when I rewatched the last couple of minutes, he made, in the last three minutes, six bad calls against us, and they pull, Tennessee pulls the game out by one. Now, here's what's more heartbreaking about that loss. We would have played UConn. Now, UConn had a big seven-footer from Houston, and they had uh, the point guard, uh, Alamede, and uh-huh. he made them go, right? Kind of like Jolly Collins made that, those teams go. Well, Alamede sprains his ankle later that night, and he wasn't going to play the next game. I guarantee you, without Alamede, we beat UConn, and here we are in a three, Sweet 16 again. So those are two the two heartbreaking losses. All right. Well, I'm going to come up with a with a third one for me, and probably be number one on my list. So we're gonna what we're gonna do? I'm gonna take a timeout, and then I gotta believe you were at this game that I'm about to tell you, and then and then uh, speaking of Tennessee, we'll, we'll we'll get to that. We'll take a timeout again. We're talking with longtime Cajun basketball fan Rich Jenks, and we're gonna talk about. I think probably be number one on the list of a lot of people in the game before. We'll do that next on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Which NFL MVP annoys Kevin Foote the most? Who is Aaron Rodgers? He's the most arrogant athlete I've ever seen. I think he's really, to his core, that arrogant. He really believes, why in the world are you even speaking to me? You are a lower form of human being. That kind of arrogance is what I'm talking about, and I think that's who Aaron Rodgers is. That is correct. Now, back to more footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Before we get back talking Cajun basketball with our friend Rich Jinks, want to tell you if you are an Astro fan or just like great baseball, you have a chance to win free tickets to Astro Weekend Getaway 3 on Saturday, July 30th against the Seattle Mariners. You could win four tickets to that game, hotel accommodations, and a tour of Minute Maid Park. But first, you must register at the game clubhouse. Week Astro Weekend Getaways powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian, Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, Rich, in 1985, the Cajuns in 1984 made it to the final four of the NIT. I still say that double overtime game in the second round of the NIT that year against Weber State. I was sitting right in the middle of the S section, long way from where you were sitting probably as a red dot. Double overtime went over Weber State. I think it was the greatest game I ever saw in Cajun basketball history. The next year, um, the Cajuns, um, you know, they're shutting down Blockham. And they lost their last five games of the year. And we all thought it was over with. And not only did the Cajuns get in, but they got a host site uh, against Florida. Well, at the end of that Florida game, Norm Sloan comes in and he's got Andrew Moten and um, Vernon Maxwell. And they're like, why in the world are we having to play in this place? But anyway, I was at familiar site right behind the scores table. Because if you stand behind the scores table, I figured out that the official, when he reports his files, has to look at you. So I could scream at him and explain to him all the calls they were missing. So I was in my familiar <laughs> spot right behind the score, the official score. 
and when 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 the they the at the end of the game, Cajuns are up by one. Florida's got an easy shot. They miss it. Moten gets the rebound. I turned away and probably looked right at you where you were, and, and but because I couldn't stand to look at it. And and all of the uh, fans just started jumping up and down. So I just started running around the court. And on the other side of the court was Tom Woodard. I don't know if you remember him. He was the KPLC yes. uh, Channel 7 sports announcer. And, of course, they were furious that the Cajuns got in in the NIT and not McNeese. And they were probably right, but who cares? So <laughs> I, I had to stop myself from running around the court and explain to Mr. Woodard why the Cajuns got in because they beat Florida and McNeese wouldn't have. Do you remember that game? Oh, absolutely. And here's another backstory to this that you may have even been into. Well, you, were you media then, or just no? No, I was. I just started working at the paper, but I was still a part timer and and a high. I was that was my junior year of high school. Well, you you'll love this story. All right, so they had those great guard Moulton and Vernon Maxwell had a great career with the Rockets. Used to give Michael Jordan all he could handle. Uh-huh. At any rate. So the, my, my roommate, you know, Doug Ireland, who is uh, our assistant AC, uh, SID with Dan McDonald, he would get the post-game interviews. Well, Sloan's hacked. You know, he's like, I'm not doing it. And, and that same guy with KPLC also, I think, went to Florida, and he's a big Norm Sloan fan, right? Okay. So they, Sloan's like, I'm out of here. We just lost. And Moulton got, missed a wide-open layup. Yes. That would have won the game. Yes. And so Doug just mainly for Woodard says, look, coach, it's going to be real quick, a couple of questions, and that's it. So he talks Sloan in again. So they, they, he gets in the podium, and he lets this guy go first. And he, and he asks the question, coach, what was the turning point of the game? <laughs> and Sloan goes ballistic. He said there was no effing turning point. <laughs> Moulton missed the layup. If he makes it, we win. He missed it. We lost. I'm out of here. And he bails. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't blame him. You know, I'd have been furious too, but uh, it's it just tremendous. And then, of course, again, it, it, it was like the Cajuns were good, but they really they struggled down the stretch. They lost an overtime game to Louisiana Tech, which was awful. And you thought, you know, that we're never going to play and block them again. And then they get this, they get this gem from the NIT. IT committee because you know the, the the Cajuns and Coach Pascal and the NIT committee were on pretty good terms and and they beat Florida then they go to Tennessee and here we go with Tennessee again up like um, what seven points with fifty seconds up five points with twenty three seconds and Don oh. Allen makes the famous you can go to the refrigerator and start celebrating now or something oh, like no. that oh no he put the mouth on it don't yes. do that Don. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and and the Cajuns, it, it just fell apart, and they lost again. I think that might be the most heartbreaking loss, uh, even though that, that wasn't the best Cajun team. But, man, I might have to put that number one on heartbreaking loss. What do you remember yeah. from that game? Yeah, well, just, yeah, that. And, and it's you know, it, it, when you ask that question, it threw me off guard, but now they're all coming back. And Mike Bernard's listening. He sent me a couple, you know, when the Cajuns lost to Louisville with Bo Lamar. Yes. Bo Lamar gets taken out of the game by a fragrant, a purposely fragrant, uh, flagrant foul. That, and we lose the game to Louisville 88-84. I mean, this is a team that could have potentially won a national championship or at least got there. And then the, the, I was at the game before that where in Houston we beat uh, Lewis Dunbar and University of Houston outran them. 
And, I mean, just beat them like 109, 101 or something like that. And Sports Hill jumped on our bandwagon. That was the great Bill Walton UCLA team. Nobody's beating them. And they pretty much had Roy Ebron on the cover. And they had, uh, you know, they, they said if anybody's going to beat UCLA, it's the Cajuns. And we must have read that article. We go to Houston the next week at, at Hawthorne Pavilion and played Kansas State. I think uh, the coach Ed Fogel, uh, Fogler, anyway, they basically, you didn't have a shot clock then. Cajuns led the nation in scoring at 98 a game, and they got about a five-point lead, and all they did was play keep away, pass the ball around the whole second half and take us out. It was, that was, and I was there. I was a little 12 year old, 13 year old kid, and that was heartbreaking. It was crazy. And, you know, it just shows you the difference in college basketball because obviously that was a great era of Cajun basketball. Ten years later, you mentioned in that, in the 81 82 season, first year they got Pop, and it wasn't just, and Johnny Collins was great, don't get me wrong, but they got Pop mm-hmm. Turner too as a, as a, and he, and he helped tremendously. The Cajuns beat Washington State, Marquette, which had Doc Rivers on that team, and then they beat mm-hmm. Georgetown. Um, you know, and that was the year Georgetown should have beaten North Carolina. I'm glad they didn't, but should have beaten North Carolina and played for the national championship in the Superdome. Well, the next year, the Cajuns go to Houston, and Graylin Warner has a shot to win the game at the buzzer, goes off the back of the rim from the free throw line. Cajuns lose by one point to Fly Slamma Jamma, who that year uh-huh. lost in the infamous North Carolina State game that they, they were the best team in the country and, and lost in the, in the national championship game. And now, and so that just shows you how close the Cajuns agents were in that two era to the very elite teams of college basketball. Yeah. Oh man. That five slam and that five slamma team, five slamma jamma should have won it all. Uh and and I, if I remember the shot, I think Akeem actually got a fingertip on it to, to get a piece of that that shot. And Graylin was money from fifteen. Yes. You know, he the elbow and all yes. oh, he was just money. I if we go back we'd have to go check the tape, but I think Akeem got a fingertip to throw that one off. He, he came from nowhere. And no. that was Clyde Drexler and, oh, my gosh, they were unbelievable. Larry Mishaw, that was an unbelievable. Yep, we've been close, Kevin. We've been super close. Oh, those Bolomar years should have been Final Four a couple times. Oh, man. But – and lots of fun. You know, I, I've said, you know, those who listen to me know I'm a sicko Saints fan, a sicko Astro fan. But uh, the only other team that teams that I were ever just totally lose my mind over, just live and die with every second was Cajun basketball in that era we're talking about. It was lots of fun, and you were a big part of mm-hmm. that. So I'm sure you still talk about that with, with buddies all the time. Oh, absolutely. Uh, in fact, Cliff, Cliff found a tape of the Great Alaskan Shootout. That we're gonna we're gonna get some old VHS tape and watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll have you over when we do. Oh, that, hey, that another note, back boy. before you even got to watching UL, you watching pretty good Acadiana High teams with Stephen Bean and Jeff Hatcher. Uh, oh, I, I, absolutely, Coach Bean and, and Wayne Lewis. Man, Wayne Lewis was good. Uh, I still remember yeah. being in Miss Leach's English class my sophomore year at Acadiana, and this tall, lanky guy walks in. He was trying to transfer, and, and I'm like, who is this guy? And then later we found out he's, you know, Stephen Bean. Uh, Love Stephen, and I, I still remember when I watched the Cajuns play when he went to Tulane, and then he came to the Cajuns. Um, no, that, that was that was lots of fun back then. Mm-hmm. Well, look, And the great Coach Bean, he was awesome. 
Yes, he was. Well, look, it's great catching up with you. Appreciate you telling uh, uh, those um, those memories and and Cajun basketball again. I, I've said it many times, and I know people say, "Oh, it's because you're old," and that's when you were young. But I, I, NBA basketball and college basketball will never ever be as good again as they were in the 1980s. I, I think it was the best decade for basketball ever. I totally agree with you. I totally agree. The shooting back then, the 12th guy off the NBA uh, bench, if he had an open, he had perfect form and could shoot. Now very few guys can shoot the ball. And Oh, yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. All right, Rich, again, we appreciate your time very much. Good talking to you, and um, have a nice day, sir. Thank you, Kevin. This right. was a blast. Take care. Rich Jinks, Cajun basketball. No, I, 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 those of you who were not around back then um, – and may not understand the history with, with Cajun. You know, it used to be a, a basketball school. It just was. I mean, in the 70s and 80s and even in the 60s, uh, it, it was. And, again, um, the, the, the Bolomar teams in the early 70s were not that far away from the top five teams in the country. Like, they could compete with them and, and could beat them. And, and again, the Cajun basketball and, – and the problem 10 years later when I was in high school – the Cajun teams were tremendous, and, and they could beat these teams. Again, they beat Georgetown, who played for the national championship and were one blown pass away from winning the national championship. The next year, I mean, there's no question Houston was the best team in the country. The Cajuns lost to them by one point at Houston. Could have beat them. You could argue should have beat them. Um, they were not, and, and, and Houston had the best team in the country that year. So they weren't that far away from them, and yet – um, in the 82 year, the great Alaskan shootout year, who did they lose to Tennessee, you know, Tennessee. I mean, it keeps coming up. They lost by four points. Uh, I want to say it was in Indianapolis. Where was that regional, like mid East regional, maybe but they lost by four points to Tennessee. Then the next year they, they were, they, they were playing Roy Henson and Rutgers and led the whole first half, and then just completely fell apart in the second half. Very similar to the loss to Notre Dame in the NIT Final Four at Madison Square Garden in, in 84, where they, they should have won the game, should have been up by more points, didn't put them away, collapsed in the second half and lost, and all those are just, all of, all of those are in my top ten. And the year they lost to Rutgers in 83, they should have won that stupid game. They were going to play St. John's, which was the number one team in the country, the beast of the East. They had Chris Mullen and um, what was his name? Uh, Winnington, but it was the other uh, Shelton Jones, I think, was on that team. Uh, and they were, you know, hot shot team, number one seed in the whole thing. And the Cajuns were going to, I don't know that they'd have beat. I don't think they would have beaten them, but it, you'd have got to play the number one, you know, seed in the whole tournament. And they just fell apart down the stretch. It so so heartbreaking. That teams, those teams were really good. They beat some really good teams, but and and then you know Xavier McDaniel had a great career. I remember Wichita State came in, crushed them, crushed them, beat them double figures. Marquette came in one time, crushed them, beat them double figures. Uh, had some great teams, but when it came down to the big games, they always faltered at the end. It was sickening. Sickening, sickening. So that Rutgers loss in 83 is certainly in my top 10. The Notre Dame loss, very frustrating. Should have won that game. That Tennessee loss to me is number one. I I ended up watching that game behind the same chair in the den in our house that we lived in then. That was the same 
two years earlier, I was in the same position watching the same watching the Mike Lansford Saints Rams game in the same place and took the same long walk. I still remember the halftime at a Tennessee game, drove down the road and got two chicken sandwiches at the Mr. Cook, came back and should have beat Tennessee and lost it. Just crushing defeats. I mean, I was like just crushed. Um, the more I think about it, Cajun fans don't hate Tennessee enough. That's three. You know, he brought up the Brett Smith game in 2000. That's certainly a top tenner for the Cajuns. The Tennessee loss in the second round of the NIT. Now, one thing I don't remember, I have to go back and look, who would the Cajuns have played in that next round? I don't remember that. I remember uh, he mentioned they would have played UConn in 2000. They would have played the New Mexico State game in 92 when they got cheated. Uh, they were going to play UCLA in, this, in the Sweet 16. I'd have to go back and look. I don't remember if they beat Tennessee who they would have played, but at 73-72 loss, I, I think that's number one. And earlier that year, as I said, they we still had hope, or so we thought. We had more hope than we thought of getting into the NIT um, and lost an overtime game to Louisiana Tech in 85 that we thought was going to be like the farewell for um, – for Blackham Coliseum, now that probably is in my top ten as well. And one of the things I meant to ask him: every time I hear the song "This Is It" by Kenny Loggins, I think of Cajun Bat. They used to play that before the games. I I can just I can just feel, you know, being at Blackham, watching the game, warming up before the game, and just feeling like this game is so important. And back then, it was it was it was certainly that important to me. I can remember being in an English class, Miss Williams's English class at Acadiana, and my mom called me. Then I got called to the office. So I, I go to the front office. I didn't know what was going on. My mom's on the phone. She won tickets to the Sugar Bowl Classic. And um, so me and my friend Todd, we went and we went we went to the Met, 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 Metal Arc Lemon in the, um, in the elevator. The Cajuns beat Kansas and Florida. And won the Sugar Bowl Classic. Just tremendous, tremendous memories and tremendous vic. Kansas and Florida beat them both. Just tremendous. Won the Sugar Bowl Classic. Great fun. Great era of Cajun basketball. It'll 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 never be that that fun, at least for me again. And so the the losses that they have will never be that heartbreaking. Just tremendous stuff. All right, we will take a timeout. I love Memory Lane, especially that era of Cajun basketball. We'll come back. On the game after this timeout, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. July 7th, 1985, Boris Becker beat South African Kevin Curran, 6'3, 6'7, 7664, to become the youngest man at 17 to win a Wimbledon singles title. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Want to remind you, 
the game. 103.7 Lafayette, 104.1 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with a new Apple Watch. All you have to do is join the brand new text club. Simply text GAME, G-A-M-E, to 337-288-8100. 288-8100. Text GAME to that number. Makes you eligible to win an Apple Watch in addition to putting your name in the hat to all kind of other great prizes like Astro tickets and more. It's the GAME Text Club. Find out more at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. All right, let's go back to the game hotline and talk to a old voice we haven't heard in a while. Hello. Kevin, how are you? Where have you how have you been, sir? Uh doing fine, doing fine. Really enjoyed the uh history lesson from Richard. Um uh, I remember I remember him from years back. Um he he uh, that's the guy to see if you want to know your UL basketball history. Absolutely. I do remember that about him. But um, great memories. Go ahead. Hello. Okay. So yeah. when should you still there? No. I'm... Uh, what, Kevin? What? I could be wrong on this, but I think back in '85, when the when the Cajuns were in the NIT, I think what they would do is they would wait and see who won in each round, then match them up again. That's maybe why I don't remember who they were going to yeah. play. Yeah. I could be wrong on that, but I think that's what they would do back in those days. So just thought, just thought, thought I'd throw that out there. Want to remind you, the Astros, as if you didn't know, but the Astros are halfway through the season. Exactly, eighty-one down, eighty-one to go. So um, that's that's all. Always look forward to reaching that milestone. Yes. And um, um, what do you think? Can they stay at this pace, or? Oh, I I, th- I expect them to play better in the second half than the first half. I just, you know, obviously you got to be healthy. You know, you know, assu- that's assuming they're going to be reasonably healthy. Uh, I I kind of expect them to to keep Brantley on the shelf until after the All Star break. We'll see what McCullers does. You know, I don't really think they're going to pick up a center fielder because Myers looks pretty good to me. He's done yeah, pretty sure. fine. He looks, he, sure, he's done so well. Yeah, yeah, I think he's doing well. We'll see what they do with catcher. Maybe another bullpen arm. Although I'm very, I'm very pleased with what Naris has done. I'm very pleased with what Montero's done. I'm still a little worried about Presley. I still don't think he's quite as consistent. He's, I think that's one of the big things about the second half is they got to get Presley consistent for the postseason, and yeah. or pick up another an arm for the bullpen. And if they do that, you know they'll be as good as they can be, and we'll see what happens. I would pick up an arm for the bullpen if that's the one move they're going to make. It would be that because I think they're going to have to go with a six-man starting staff for the rest of the year because they want to save these young arms and not have them kind of burn out, which I think kind of happened last year uh, toward the end. Right, um, but remember, like two of those are going to be able – two of those six pitchers, if not three of them, will be able to be bullpen arms in the postseason. Well, right, right. I'm talking about once we get there – the process of getting there, and you know, um, for example, um, a couple of these guys like uh, like Javier and and and, uh, and and Garcia, they're close to 100 innings pitched already. Yes. Um, and at this rate, they would be at 200 innings pitched, and I don't think they can do that. I don't think they can go more than about 160 or so. So I'm in favor of the six-man staff. Uh, starting staff, and if we can sacrifice somebody uh, on offense for an extra arm in the bullpen, um, I, that's the way. That's the way I would go. I don't know about you, but that's no. I agree. I I, I kind of will be surprised if they don't do a six man from here on out. I agree. I, yeah, exactly. Anyway, just thought I'd touch base and uh, enjoy your show as I, always. I so. appreciate it. Thank you very much, sir. 
All righty. Great to hear from old bankrupt Dave again. Um, let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. All right, Kev. So you're behind the same chair for the Mike Lansford kick and the Tennessee game. Did yes. did you did y'all throw the chair away after that? <laughs> no. Well, eventually it got thrown away when we moved, but uh, but uh, it was and, and it was a it was orange. It was an orange velvet recliner. I, I don't know. It it, it 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 matched the the theme of the little den there. It was that was the same place I watched um, while we're talking about memories. The uh, the gold medal game after the infamous uh, miracle on ice. The miracle on ice was the very first night we had spent in that new house, and then that that Sunday I watched we watched that upstairs on a little black and white TV, and our TV came the next day and watched it right there. So no, we did not throw away that that chair, but probably should have. Sounded like a bad luck chair to me. I'll tell you what. <laughs> oh, but that no, was that was awful. The- <laughs> That was some great days. You know, I went to, to USL between 77 and 81, and, and um, you know, it, it's, I wouldn't trade those memories for, you know, for, for anything, man. It was just uh, a different era back then, but it was so much fun um, to, to, to be a part of that, that Cajun history and, and just uh, realize that this little, you know, sleepy town in Louisiana could, could hang with the big boys as a – you know, a lot of fun, man, and a lot of good memories in there, uh, for sure. But, look, I wanted to uh, switch real quick to the Saints, and, and the, the, I totally agree with you. I'm so stoked for the season. was really encouraged to see Jameis, you know, throwing without the brace on. Not, not that it, I don't think the brace is going to be a big deal one way or the other, but, um, but, but the only concern I have with the roster, and, 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 and it's really like a – a two-part thing is is the is, is, believe it or not is the is is a safety position. I love the talent. I, I both you know both new pieces. Assuming that you know May and um, uh, Tony Badger are the starters, which you know pretty safe to assume. I think it might take a little while for the the communication to mesh um, on that end. And then uh, we still don't know about Marcus May suspension either. So you know when that Oh, come down, man! I just don't know. I do think Marcus Williams got kind of a bad rap from from Saints fans for the most part. I I, I thought he was a way better than average. You know? Oh um, no, I th- I thought he was fine. They, he did have a couple strange plays last year where he would be running backwards. I. And look, I got nothing against Marcus Williams. I, he wasn't quite the playmaker. That I, I thought he forced more turnovers in his career than he ended right, up forcing. Right. And I'm hoping that's what uh, Matthew brings is more turnover potential. But uh, but no, they they were fine. But but uh, you know maybe Evans and and even PJ Williams, if needed, can provide the kind of uh, depth that they need at, at the safety spot. Yeah, I hope so. And. Uh, but that's about all. I mean, and, you know, of course, running back, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. We need some insurance, not only because, look, it, it's very likely that Alvin Kamara may not even be suspended this year, the way that things are dragging on with, with his case. Um, so, but just injury-wise, if he goes down for a, for a period of time, you, you need some, some some more veteran depth. And I'm, even I'm if he's playing, about, but, Ralph, uh, even if Ingram he – Ralph, but like I said a year ago, 
even if he plays 17 games and isn't suspended and is never injured. You don't want to turn him into Christian McCaffrey. You want oh, no, you don't no, want no, him no. to be a dump yeah, truck. Yeah. Like, why can't anybody understand this? I, yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and Kev, look, I just want to um, say, man, yesterday the Saints always post of, you know, a lot of stuff on their website, but I, I saw on Facebook they had this, you know, kind of random Pierre Thomas Appreciation Day, and they had the highlight from the Super Bowl when he caught the screen pass to, to give the Saints their first lead. And not only was Pierre Thomas an amazing, you know, uh, uh, pass catcher out the backfield and, and, and so good at running the screen, but, my God, I was watching Carl Nix and Jari Evans downfield, just yeah. road great people. That was a – I was a pair of guards there, buddy. I mean, that just outstanding. brought back memories. Too. Yes, outstanding. They were, they were good. Thank you. Appreciate the call. All right, Jeff. Have a good day, buddy. Thank you. All right. That's it for this segment. We'll take a timeout, come back, finish out this fun show, fun Thursday. I needed a distraction from um, MJ Melendez crushing the Astros' face. We'll be back on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Again, we had lots of fun today. Hopefully, you can put yourself in position to have fun by winning great prizes by going to the game clubhouse and registering today, whether it's a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse, $25 to Mabel's Kitchen, or a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. Makes you eligible for things like Astro getaways and other great prizes throughout the year. So, again, it's free. It's simple. So, sign up today for the game clubhouse on 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Remember, at 110, first pitch, Justin Verlander against some cat with an ERA of about seven named Bubik. Kind of reminds me of the bubonic plague, the way he spells his name. And, and, and he shut down the Astros. Man, the Royals are such a pain. I mean, they, they, they must not do good against anybody else or very many other teams because they're in last place. But, boy, they are pain to the Astros last year and this year. This cat pitched great against that. His, his ERA is about eight. His whip's about 160. And the Astros, he, he pitched five shutout innings against the Astros last time they played in, in, in Kansas City. By the way, it's the most runs. the It's already the most runs the Astros have given up in any series all year long against the mighty Royals. And they still got another game today, so hopefully they don't score anymore. What if they scored 20 runs in three games? I don't know if the Astros gave up 20 hits in the previous two weeks. They scored 20 runs in three games. Hopefully they don't score another one. We'll see what Justin Verlander does today, and you can hear that game right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Thank you very much for the phone calls. Luke and Rich Jinx coming on. I had lots of fun today. Hopefully you did too. Have a nice day.